If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we walk through uh, the first five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4. That is, this is Paul's first letter to Timothy that we have in the scriptures. It is a personal letter, a letter that he gives to Timothy, and it is a, not just a personal letter, it is a public letter. A letter that was meant to be read by the church, in the church, and meant to be a letter that was meant to instruct the entire church on how it was to operate, to be structured. We see that in the very verses before chapter 4. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. He's, he's writing so that Timothy and the whole church and us down through the ages, that we might know how we are to live, how we are to structure, how we are to go forward, what we are to be warned of, how we are to proceed. This is a, a private letter, but it is a, a public letter meant for our benefit to be instructed for us. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we now open up God's word. Father in heaven, this is indeed your word. It is not ours. Give us grace this morning as we study it, that we may not only be instructed in our minds, but that we would find our, our, our hearts warmed by your truth that we would be warned where we are going astray. And that we would be encouraged to come back to live for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you have received, like I have, an email or a phone call, and not just a singular, but emails, phone calls, pieces of letters in the, in the mail that on closer inspection, something just doesn't feel right. Perhaps it's a phone call and the person talking to you claims to be from your bank or from the government and is asking you about something. Perhaps it's an email. And in that email, it's somebody needs your help. A Nigerian prince, there seems to be a lot of them, always emailing for help and assistance. And if you'll just provide some money, that will help them get back on their feet, help them do what needs to be done. Scams have become more elaborate over time. Emails that are, are formatted and pieces of, uh, of mail that are formatted to look almost exactly like the, a piece of mail or a piece of email from a legitimate business. It's got the logo. It's got everything seems to be in place. Just something about it feels not quite right. You think about it, you make a phone call rather than to that email, you, rather than through that uh, piece of letter, wherever it directs you, right? you, you make a separate phone call. You make some other investigation, and in doing so, you find out that you can ignore this. This fake imitation type of scams, these imitation type of uh, these pleas, they seem to have increased in number. They've formatted to look legitimate, but they are fake. 
The reality is, I think all of us, we have seen enough of that in our world. That which appears real, but on closer inspection, is off, isn't right. The reality is, that doesn't just happen in the world around us. That happens within the church. That happens within Christian circles. Where something appears good, it appears right, it comes cloaked in all of the right language, all of the right verbiage, it sounds good, but then when we begin to examine it up close against what God's word says, it, it's just off, just a little bit. And that is what Paul is warning Timothy And through Timothy, this church in Ephesus, where Timothy is serving as a pastor. He is warning him about an imitation Christianity. Something that looks legitimate. Something that has what appears to be legitimate leaders, legitimate teachers. Using Christian language, religious language. But it falls short of the real thing. We get a hint of this in these first five verses, which we're going to track through this morning. Follow along as I read. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature or everything God has created is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified or consecrated, devoted by the word of God and prayer. In these verses, Paul is warning us, he's warning Timothy about an imitation kind of Christianity that has crept in. And he tells us that this imitation Christianity, he knows it's an imitation. He's gotten it from a reliable source. And he tells us what that source is in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says. Do you see that? It's the Spirit who is saying. And any good battle plan, your source of intelligence, your source of information is critical to a good battle plan. So your source of information is absolutely necessary. A good source needs to be reliable, needs to be trustworthy. And there is no greater a more trustworthy source of information than the Spirit. And the Spirit himself is warning Certainly, it could be that Paul is referencing other passages of Scripture where we see warnings about these types of things. We read about one of those warnings today in Colossians chapter 2. And so we could be referencing some other passage of the New Testament where the Spirit of God is leading to the, the authors to give a warning of error that is creeping into the church. But I think what Paul is signifying here is that he has received from the Holy Spirit direct revelation that there is a particular kind of imitation Christianity that is beginning to set up here. And the very wording of this opening phrase reminds us of who the Spirit is, right? Rather, it reminds us that the Spirit is a who and not an it. Because it is the Spirit that expressly says, it speaks. The Spirit of God is a speaking Spirit. It talks. 
The only things that talk are not its, but who he talks. He says, he declares. This is a personal spirit. This, this goes back, if you are new Christian or if you are not a Christian, this goes back to the Christian teaching of who God is. But there is indeed one God. There aren't many gods. There is one God. But in God, there are three persons. There is the Father, there is the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One in being co-equal in glory and worth, and yet distinct in who they are. This is a mystery, and it is a, a mystery that is beyond our comprehension. And yet the Spirit of God is the one who is revealing these things to, Timoth to Paul and through Paul to Timothy. And he tells him, the Spirit is signifying, he's, sell, he's telling Paul when this will be. When is all this going to happen? When will imitation Christianity begin to come into the church? Well, he says there, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. What are those latter times, those later times? We read that and we think the last days, that's the last days. That's entirely future. In Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 2, the author there, uh, the author of Hebrews begins to talk about the, the final revelation that we have in Christ Jesus. And he says, in, in those days, that is in the days of the prophets, they spoke by various ways. Yet in these last days, God has spoken through his son. We are in these last days now. Indeed, Paul is addressing these types of things in all of his letters to, to tell us that not only is there some sense in which all of this is future and we can expect a, a general worsening and decay of these things, yet these are already happening. This is already a reality that we face. It is not just future, it is, it is now. So do not read later times and think, okay, I'm safe now, we're good now. Or because we see it now that, all right, now we're in the later times, Paul wasn't. The reality is Paul himself viewed himself in those last days, in these later times himself. And here's the warning. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some, and here he is speaking, not just generally of Christians in particular, although he does have that in mind. He seems to be particularly drawing attention to Christian leaders. Warning about Christian leaders. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Whether these people are genuine Christians or not isn't clear in the text. I think by... Evaluation, we can see that there have been some who are genuine Christians who themselves were deceived. Others claimed, professed, looked like Christians, talked like Christians, but in their heart of hearts, they had never bowed the knee to the Lord. They had never submitted to him. They had never put their faith in Christ, in Christ alone. So we're not clear what exactly the, the state, the spiritual state of these Christian leaders are. But what it is clear is that there will be leaders who 
depart from the faith. And you might ask, how can people do this? What would lead leaders who are Christians? What would lead Christians to do this? How can professing Christians, much less Christian leaders, fall away? The word we might use today is that they would deconstruct their faith. What would lead to this? And the question is important for you and I to consider for two reasons. First, it's important for us to consider because this, this is happening all the time, all around us. There are denominations. There are individuals. There are Christian leaders, and you can find them all over, who are abandoning the clear teaching of God's Word. And in its place, believing, teaching, practicing, accepting, doing other things. This is something that is all around us. The world is pulling us in this direction. And if it's important for us to understand this because the danger is all around us, it's equally important for us to understand this because if it can happen to educated religious leaders, it can happen to you and I. It can happen to all of us. If Paul is warning Timothy... How much more do you and I need this warning? How much more do you and I need to be aware of where we are slowly drifting? Drifting away from the truth. So what causes this drift? Paul gives three reasons. We see this beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart. They're going to depart from the faith. What, what leads to this? Very, the first one, there's a, a spiritual cause. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Paul isn't saying that there is a classroom somewhere where evil spirits and demons are teaching and lecturing on false Christianity, Paul is simply identifying something far more insidious. That all lies, all false doctrine, all false teaching comes through, has its ultimate roots in spiritual forces of darkness. But if, if these are lies and they are not the truth, then it must come through and come from the father of lies. It is ultimately where it, we can trace it to. Typically, this is something we ignore in our time, isn't it? We ignore spiritual causes. We, we think only of arguments. We think only of influences. We, we forget that there is a spiritual world. There are spiritual forces at play. We typically think that if someone believes a lie, the only they must believe that fake news. The only reason they believe that obvious error is because they, they must lack intelligence. They must not be as smart as we are. We know something that they don't. And if, if only they knew what we knew, they wouldn't think like that. Brothers and sisters, what we need to remember is that behind all of these ideas that threaten to lead us away from the truth is is not merely forces in the world, but as forces in the spiritual world. Indeed, it's not a lack of intelligence that causes people to believe a lie. For we know that some of the most intelligent people are, are the ones who create some of the most dangerous falsehoods. 
The idea is that dehumanize some people because of the color of their skin or because they are still in the womb. Or ideas that justify wrong because it feels right. Ideas that call good evil and evil they call good. Those things that lead to the mutilation and pain of children. These, these things are, have at their root a dangerous demonic idea, dangerous demonic activity. And the forces behind these ideas are the same ones that deny that God is the creator of all things and that he is the one, one day who will judge us all. These are ideas that mislead us about who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, and our ability in this world to please God. Make no mistake, there are forces of evil that fuel these lies, that lead people astray. This is why we are warned in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. So then how do we wrestle? We wrestle through prayer. We wrestle through prayer. Our final enemy, our true enemy, isn't the person ultimately who's speaking the lies. It is the one behind them. And so we fight through prayer, leading, bringing these others to the Lord to do what we cannot. The first source of this misleading, of this imitation Christianity is the activity, the spiritual activity of dark, darkness. Verse 2 tells us that not only is there a spiritual cause, there is a human cause. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, or we might say a better way of translating that would be through the teaching of hypocritical liars. Through the teaching of hypocritical liars. That is, if the first phrase tells us that these false teachers are being deceived, the second phrase tells us that these people, just because they have been deceived, aren't themselves therefore innocent, that they are themselves deceiving others. We're willfully being deceived and now willfully deceiving others, deliberately deceiving others, to the point where even deep down, they themselves do not even believe that which they are teaching. They're not buying what they're selling. We, we see this in politics. Those who talk of overturning power structures of the government and, and redistributing wealth amongst all people have you ever noticed how none of them actually give up the power that they have or are willing to give out their wealth, whatever they have accrued? We see this in the media, talking heads on both the left and the right. They talk a big game. But when private emails and conversations and text messages are made public, we find that privately they do not believe what they publicly talk about. And trust me, this is Exactly what goes on in Christian circles as well. Why can't faith healers heal themselves? Why is it that those who promise the blessing of God in return for financial gifts of others, why are they all so wealthy? I mean, do they not want God's blessing on themselves? Do they not want to give to the Lord? And why do those who claim that we will be accepted by God if we will just do more and do better, why are they often so caught, why are they so often caught in immorality? Friends, the ones who mislead so often betray themselves by their own lives. There is a human cause to this. It is a deliberate action. They are 
teaching, hypocritical liars in their teaching. More than this, there is a moral cause. There is a spiritual cause. There is a human cause. There is a moral cause. Verse 2 goes on to tell us, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. That word translated in the New King James as seared as with a hot iron, it, it carries the idea of having a wound so severe, but having a, in some way, a means to cauterize that wound, that nerve, so that there is no more pain. It's, it's what happens when you go to the dentist and he gives you Novocaine. He numbs that tooth so that whatever work he's about to do, whatever drilling he's about to do on that tooth, whatever activity, he, you don't feel it. That's his aim. That's what he's talking about here. That is, their consciences are seared like this. Here's the grim picture of the descent into error by continually arguing against one's conscience, by wanting what they want, to live out what they want, and to justify it, that the teaching begins to shift to accommodate their lives rather than their lives are shifting to accommodate what is true. And in justifying themselves day after day after day, there is this, this downward descent into destruction. We lie to ourselves and because we want what we want, we were willing to believe the lie. We justify what we want saying, this is the way God made me. Therefore, it must be okay. Or if God didn't want me to do this, he would change me. He would change my desires. He would change what I think. Or I'm just following my heart. Whatever other cultural lie we may be swallowing, One of the best pictures of this descent into evil is found in the words of uh, one man who was raised in a Christian home. And as he grew to be a a teenager and an adult, he abandoned Christianity altogether. And he describes, as as he is pursuing his own ideas, he describes where his ideas take him. Listen as he describes his downward journey into self deception and self destruction. He says, I have already said that everything goes wrong without God. This is after he has become a Christian again. This is true even of the good things he's given us, such as our minds. One of the good things I have been given is a stronger than average mind. I don't make the observation to boast. Human beings are given diverse gifts to serve him in diverse ways. The problem is that a strong mind that refuses the call to serve God has its own way of going wrong. When some people flee God, they rob and kill. When others flee from God, they do a lot of drugs and have a lot of sex. When I fled from God, I didn't do any of those things. My way of fleeing was to get stupid. Though it always comes as a surprise to intellectuals, there are some forms of stupidity that one must be highly intelligent and educated educated to achieve. That is my favorite quote of all time. He He goes on, God keeps all these things, he keeps them in his arsenal to pull down the mulish pride, and I discovered them all. That is how I ended up doing a doctoral dissertation to prove that we are the ones, we make up the difference between good and evil, and that we aren't ultimately responsible for what we do. I remember now that I even taught these things to students. Now that's sin. 
it was also agony. You cannot imagine what a person has to do to himself. Well, if you are like I was, maybe you can. But you cannot imagine what a person has to do to himself to go on believing such nonsense. St. Paul said that the knowledge of God's law is written on our hearts, our consciences also bearing witness. The way natural law thinkers put this is to say that these truths constitute the deep structures of our minds. That means that so long as we have minds, we can't not know them. Well, I was unusually determined not to know them. Therefore, I had to destroy my mind. I resisted the temptation to believe in good with as much energy as some saints resist the temptation to neglect good. For instance, I loved my wife and children. But I was determined to regard this love as merely a subjective preference with no real and objective value. Think what this did to my very capacity to love them. After all, love is a commitment of the will to the true good of another person. And how can one's will be committed to the true good of another person if he denies the reality of good, denies the reality of persons, and denies that his commitments are under his control? Visualize a man opening up the access panels of his mind and pulling out all the components that have God's image stamped on them. The problem is that they have all got God's image stamped on them. So the man can never stop. No matter how much he pulls out, there's still more to pull. I was that man. And because I pulled out more and more, there was less and less that I could think about. And because there was less and less that I could think about, I thought I was becoming more focused. And because I believed things that filled me with dread, I thought I was smarter and braver than the people who didn't believe them. I thought I saw an emptiness at the heart of the universe that was hidden from their foolish eyes. Of course, I was the fool. Brothers and sisters... Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. The danger, of way, the danger of falling away from Jesus, the danger of departing from the faith, the danger of being snookered into believing one of the countless lies that threatens to sweep us off our feet and take us away from Christ, all of this is a present danger to you and I. We are confronted by this through books, We are confronted by this on TV shows, religious documentaries, YouTube, that friend on Instagram or Facebook who continually sends you these posts that tells you if you do not repost this, then you must not love God and God's not going to reward you. But if you do post this, God will bless you. That's that's a lie. False teaching comes in many ways, many forms. This is why Paul warns Timothy about it. In chapter 1 of this letter, Paul names two men, Alexander and Hymenaeus, who had been Christian leaders but had fallen away. And if they could fall, so could Timothy. And if Timothy could fall, what's keeping you and I from falling? Being smart isn't a defense. Having a good money, good education isn't a defense. Owning a Bible isn't a defense. Those men owned Bibles. It is not in owning the Bible, it is in submitting to the Bible. Not using it to prop up what we want, what we like, what we think, but rather letting our lives be guided by its light. Only in this is there safety. Watch out for false teachers. 
More than this, watch out for false teaching. He gives two examples of false teaching that he is warning Timothy about in verse 3. He says there at the beginning, what are these teachers teaching that has begun to sweep people up? It seems odd to us that these are the ones that are so captivating people's hearts, but I think we will see some comparisons in our time. He says, what are these teachers teaching? They are forbidding to marry, forbidding people to marry, and commanding them to abstain from foods. They are teaching people to forbid, they are forbidding people to marry and commanding them to abstain from foods. The first thing that he is drawing our attention, why these are wrong, he gives us two reasons. You might look at this and you say, these are obviously wrong, these are obviously erroneous. But he draws our attention, these are particularly destructive ideas in Timothy's day. And he grounds the correction of them in two ways. The first is that they are treating as evil what God has created good. They are treating as evil as what God has created good. There are those who have tried to teach that Christians can do whatever they please and want. That there is nothing off limits. But that's not what these men are teaching. That's not what these leaders are teaching. In fact, that is not the most insidious kind of Christianity that most of us must fight against internally. For those who want to follow God, the most insidious, the most dangerous kind is not that we reduce the number of things we must do, but that we rather add to it. And that is what is happening here. Adding restrictions to what God does not restrict. They are forbidding marriage, giving commands to abstain from foods. In Paul's day, as in ours, there are all sorts of groups that forbid all sorts of practices for a number of reasons. And these ideas, both in the Jewish world and in the pagan world, were beginning to find footholds among all Christians. You can understand why. Isn't self-denial a good thing? So some were forbidding marriage. And physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. But isn't God the one who created marriage? Brought the first man and the first woman together in marriage? Isn't he the one who commends, not even commends, he commands physical intimacy between a husband and wife? Jesus himself endorses marriage. Paul himself talks about how God has created marriage as a picture of his self, of Christ's self-sacrificial love on the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, we read that marriage is to be honored by all. Many groups over the centuries have forbidden eating certain, eating certain foods. We see that in the Old Testament. There are restrictions on what the Jews could eat and couldn't eat. But in Mark chapter 7, we read that Christ ends all of that, cleansing all foods. And that becomes a reality in Acts chapter 10. When Peter is called to the, the home of a Gentile and through a series of visions, the Lord makes it clear that those laws are no longer to be observed. And ultimately in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, Paul the Apostle says this, Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat. We are no better if we do. Both of these ideas, restricting that which God has created, uh, marriage and intimacy, that is bad, and also restricting certain kinds of foods, we can find both of these teachings in our day and age. You can find groups and individuals who argue that marriage is bad or wicked or oppressive. 
You can find many groups who act as if it's particularly virtuous because they are vegetarian or vegan or because their kids don't eat certain foods. You let your kids eat Lucky Charms. Do you know what sugar content there is in that? Some of you, that's your steady diet. More than this, some religions, even those that call themselves Christians, they forbid certain foods on certain days of the week. This is what we have. We are in that season that some traditions call Lent. And so you are not supposed to eat certain meats on certain days. Fish on Fridays. Why not tacos on Tuesday? This is why the Roman Catholic Church abstains from this, encourages those others to, encourages those who adhere to this to abstain from that. But the reason all of this is problematic is because these are things that God has created for our enjoyment and our good. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Do you see this? To be received with thanksgiving by all those who believe and know the truth, for everything that God has created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified, it is made holy, it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Marriage and meat and all kinds of food, everything that God has made is good. And they are to be enjoyed within the bounds that God has ordained. And everything that God has created can be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Because in thanksgiving, we are, we are tracing the gift back to the giver. Enjoying the gift to the glory of the giver. And by submitting, by, by, by using the word of God in prayer, it sanctifies our use of these gifts because we are submitting our use of these gifts to what God's word tells us how we are to use it Offering our use of them up over to him. So the first reason that this kind of asceticism, these restrictions are wrong, the worst kinds of imitation in false Christianity is because it sets up those in authority as being gods amongst themselves, of themselves. That's how it works out, isn't it? Who has the right and the authority to tell you what's, what's right and what's wrong? Is it not God? And now we have people who are advocating more increased restrictions. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be serious, you shouldn't do these other things. And I do not know your heart, but I know mine. And there is a sinful, proud, self-righteous part of my heart that resonates with that. That adds, that wants to add to God's word. So brothers and sisters, where are you tempted to raise up restrictions and standards for yourself that you can find a little grounding for in the word of God? Perhaps it's marriage and relationships. Perhaps it's restrictions on food. Perhaps it's certain kinds of clothing. Perhaps it's music, perhaps it's entertainment or hobbies or whatever. The Bible speaks to all of these things, make no mistake. It does not do what you want. It does not live however you please. That is not what Paul is advocating here. What Paul is advocating and he's reminding us of is that we submit even the restrictions that we live by. We submit those to the Lord. 
We do not add to God's word. We do not make ourselves our own gods. But if treating as evil what God has called good is the first way that false teaching goes wrong, there is a subtext that leads us to see what else is happening here. By having these restrictions, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods, the subtext is this, that if you will practice self-denial, you will gain self-righteousness. That's the subtext here. If you practice self-denial like this, you will gain self-righteousness. That you will be righteous in God's eyes if you live this certain way. If you will add to yourself these laws, these restrictions, and, and these other things, then you will please God. Then you are a, a super Christian. Then you are a serious Christian. Then you are a good Christian, a real Christian. This is the idea that if we are religious enough or good enough, that we can earn divine vindication. We can earn acceptance with God. That we can be righteous in his sight. But brothers and sisters, friends, this goes against everything that the Bible teaches. It is God who makes us righteous through his son, Christ Jesus. Paul writes this about himself And whatever level of goodness he thought he had achieved in his own life, he says this, whatever gain I had, I I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that that is having a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we are not accepted by God because of our own goodness. We we are not vindicated by God because we are, our list of do's and don'ts far exceeds that of someone else. We are accepted with God and by God only through Jesus. What you and I cannot do, God himself does. Why is so Paul so worked up about all this? Because what is at stake is the hope and promise of salvation found in Christ Jesus alone. Friend, if you are not a Christian... This is the key truth you need to hear this morning. Fake Christianity is far more dangerous than fake news or an email scam. It'll cost you, fake Christianity will cost you far more than any Nigerian prince. It'll cost you eternity. It is not Jesus and something else. It is Christ alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is those of you who have anchored your life and hope and standing before God to Christ and what he has done for you. You and I need to remember this. That your life this week, that this, your life this past week, 
ultimately is not the thing by which you will be measured. You will answer to the Lord for it. Absolutely. But we are vindicated by God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done or are trying to do or what we hope to achieve in the future. It is all Christ. In our world, there are all sorts of impossible standards that you are encouraged to hold to. Moms, you, you feel the pressure of this, don't you? You've got you to have it all together. Some of you have small children in the home, and you've got to have your kids all perfectly behaved, especially when we come to church. Everybody's got to be on their perfect behavior. Everyone's dressed well. Everyone's behaving perfectly. You've got to have your lives together, your kids dressed well. You need to have it all together to look at all, to, to be measured, and you measure yourself up against what you see online. What is so-and-so doing? What do their lives look like? What does their home look like? Does my home look like what I see on Pinterest or on Instagram? Am, am I measuring up there? It all begins to feel so crushing. Men, you too, you can begin to weigh yourself about what you see other men accomplishing or not accomplishing. Whether at work, whether at home. Students, don't you feel the pressure to constantly perform? Aren't you expected to to get certain grades, and that pressure can sometimes feel overwhelming, can't it? I want you to remember, ultimately, our standing with God isn't determined by our performance. Our standing with God was achieved by Christ Jesus. The call of genuine Christianity isn't do this. The call of genuine Christianity is trust in the one who has already done it. The one whose work is already finished for you. Trust in him. So whether you are a Christian this morning, whether you're not a Christian, that is the message we need to remember and hear. Imitation Christianity is, it's not a problem for someone else. It's a problem for us, for our hearts, for our lives. Look to Jesus this morning. Anchor yourself in him. Let's pray. Father, your truth, your word is truth. And we confess that we are, we are finite in our knowledge, finite in our abilities, And we are so prone to wander, Lord. Prone to leave you, the Lord we love. Prone to not anchor our souls and affix our hearts and submit our minds to your truth. Oh God, let us build our lives in the firm foundation of your word. May you teach us, oh God, humility. Help us, we pray, in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen.